Exodus chapter 13. Let me see if the 12 o'clock feels like talking back to the preacher today. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you ought to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. I want to stop there and tag a title to this text. I want to talk from this subject in our time together. There is more. Clap your hands in anticipation of God's word. There are a number of words that can be used to describe the nature and the character of God. But in our time together today, I want to lift up one that's extremely important but often overlooked. And that is our God is the God of principles. Somebody say principles. What is a principle, Darius? A principle is simply, principles are simply rules of operation for a thing that come from the creator of that thing that ensure the preservation, the protection, and the productivity of that thing. Principles, rules of operation for a thing that come from the creator of that thing that ensure the preservation, the protection, and the productivity of that thing. Principles. Rules of operation for a thing that come from the creator of that thing that ensure the preservation, I want to be long, the protection, I want to be protected, and the productivity, I want to be optimal of that thing. Principles. Rules of operation that come from, for a thing, that come from a creator of that thing, that ensure the preservation, the protection, and the productivity of that thing. Principles. Rules of operation for a thing that come from the creator of that thing that ensure the preservation, the protection, and the productivity of that thing. God is a God of principles and sometimes the answer to your prayer comes in the form of a principle. Because whatever principles are ignored, abuse is inevitable. Did you hear what I just said? I said wherever principles are ignored, abuse is inevitable. Principles are the avenue and the path through which we possess God's promises. It is the way God gives us direction to what he declares is ours. We don't get just an amazing relationship by prayer. We also get an amazing relationship by principles. Am I making sense? We don't just get peace by prayer. We get peace by principles. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Principle. Am I making sense here? And this is so important because our potential 
is tied and tethered to our awareness of and implementation of principles. And the enemy understands this, which is why he aggressively attempts to keep us uninformed. He doesn't mind us being inspired as long as we're uninformed. He doesn't mind us being excited as long as we're uninformed. He doesn't mind us being enthusiastic as long as we are uninformed. He doesn't mind us having zeal as long as that zeal is not according to knowledge because he knows something. Hosea put it this way, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Let me contemporize this, ignorance is expensive. Whatever area you ignorant in, you will suffer in. The Bible says the devil is called the prince of darkness. And darkness is not just a metaphor for evil. Darkness is a metaphor for ignorance. If somebody says I'm in the dark, they're saying I'm ignorant. And the apostle Paul says when we are ignorant of Satan's devices, he gets an advantage over us because he understands whatever area I'm ignorant in, I suffer in. And this is why the enemy is agitated with so many of you because you don't just settle for excitement. You don't just settle for enthusiasm. You don't just settle for zeal. You did not get in your car, drive all of this way, get on some shuttle to get in this place just because you're excited. You got something that scares the enemy. You got more than excitement. You got hunger. Let me go to this side and see if you will talk to me. I said you have something that, uh, that, that intimidates the enemy. That's hunger. Let me tell you why he's so afraid of hunger. Because ladies and gentlemen, you and I become so occupied with what we don't have that we devalue what we do have. You and I are obsessed with what we are not, not realizing what we are. And the enemy knows what you are more than you do. That's why his attacks don't make sense to you. You're like, why is the enemy bothering me? Because you don't see what he sees. He believes more in your potential than you do. Because he sees that you have something that the average person does not have. He say they got hunger. And because they got hunger, whatever they don't have, they won't be without it for long. Because the hungry go hunting. If I don't know it, I'm a hunt until I figure it out. If I don't have it, I'm going to hunt until I get it. If they won't help me, I'll help myself. I do I have anybody in the building today that will say it's hunting season? I'm not waiting on anybody to bring me anything. The kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. I'm hungry. When you're hungry, you will do things that don't make sense to other people. When you're hungry, you will get up out of your bed in the middle of the night when the house is cold to go down to the kitchen and get you something to eat because you are hungry. And the enemy is scared of that hunger. He said, because if that kind of passion ever get linked up with the right principles, there's nothing they won't be able to do. 
if that kind of passion gets linked up with the right principles, they become a spiritual weapon of mass destruction. We must become aware of and obsessed with implementing kingdom principles, principles from the creator. Because the creator of a thing know how to get the best out of it. And there are a number of principles I think are incredibly important. We're just talking today. We're just talking. I just want to throw out a few that I think are extremely important yet often overlooked. One of which is a principle I call the principle of proclamation. Somebody say proclamation. What's that mean, Darius? Whoever's got your ear has your future. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? The principle of proclamation, whoever has your ear has your future. Meaning one of the most consequential choices you will ever make is who you choose to listen to. Did you hear what I just said? It means then that we must develop a skill. I'm not talking about the spiritual gift of discerning of spirits, but the skill of discernment so that you're able to differentiate good people from bad advice. Just because they're good people doesn't mean they give. <laughs> so the successful are selective. And when people don't understand this, they misinterpret your selectiveness as you being stuck up. When you are simply realizing and recognizing in this season, I cannot allow everything in my ear. I'm struggling to believe God myself. I don't need you to help me not believe him. Let me go to this side. I'm struggling to be positive myself. I don't need you to keep confirming how dire my situation is. I need somebody that's gonna look me in the eye right in prison with me to be my Silas or my Paul to say, if you shout, I'ma clap. And if you clap, I'ma leap. And we're gonna get out of this jail. In Numbers 13, Israel was poised and possessed to possess, poised to possess the promised land. And the Bible says they, they literally, they literally refused to fight a fight that was fixed because they allowed the, long, the wrong voices to have influence over them. Principle of proclamation. There's another one that I think is extremely important yet often overlooked. And this is the principle of partnership. Yeah. That your welfare and your well-being are not just depending on who you are and what you have. They equally impacted by who you with. Here it is. You can't be your best self by yourself. Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. It didn't say a fool suffer harm. It said a companion of fools suffer harm. So I don't have to be a fool to be harmed. I just gotta walk with fools. And the word fool in Proverbs means the spiritually unintelligent. <laughs> the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. 
And so when you don't understand this, people will misinterpret your selectiveness as you being stuck up. People will levy words at you like you changed. And instead of apologizing, you should volley back. You didn't. I want somebody to talk back. Will you please stop apologizing for evolving into a higher version of yourself? Will you please stop apologizing for no longer being a people pleaser, codependent, and an enabler? Would you please stop apologizing for setting boundaries and stop letting people use you and abuse you? If the only version of me you want is the inferior version of me, that is God's sign to me that you are not for me in this season. Because I shouldn't have to walk backwards for us to be together. I feel like something getting ready to break out in here today. I said I shouldn't have to walk backwards for us to be together. The only thing we shouldn't have, the only, we got to have more in common than old things that we did when I was dumb. Let me go to this side. If the only thing we can talk about when we get together is our dumb days, that means you are good for my past, but not necessary for my future. keep resurrecting a part of me God's trying to keep buried <laughs> principle of partnership <laughs> it's tough it's tough because this also requires discernment not the discerning of spirits but discernment Working this principle requires a revelation that there is no such thing as a neutral relationship. It's either, it's either an asset or a liability. <laughs> you cannot take progress seriously and treat relationships casually. You must learn the power of proper placement and discern the seasons of necessary pruning. <clears throat> placement meaning you still need to be in my life, just not in the same place. But I can't wait on you to get a revelation of what place you're supposed to be in. Because you're going to place yourself where you want to be. But where you want to be might not be where you need to be. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? Principles. But there's another principle, not just principle of partnership, principle of the place. Your welfare and your well-being is not just determined by who you are, it's equally impacted by where you are. This, this is a principle we see in the creation narrative. And uh, I told the earlier service, don't send me an email because I'm not going to respond back to it. 
and people have to meet certain criteria. People should have, you should have some criteria that must be met before you argue with people. <laughs> Arguing with everybody is an indication that you have no intellectual standards. <laughs> Your standards need to be higher. So you at least need to read something. You trying to argue based on your opinion. I'm not about, you want to argue. You want to argue? I'm not about to argue with you. You mad. You big mad. One, one, of the presenters, one of the presenters in my group this week said something so strong. She talked about uh, turtles and giraffes, and she says, they're both animals, but they see different things. You're trying to argue giraffe issues with people who got turtle positioning. principle of the place, environment matters. And when you look at the creation narrative, where the Bible talks about God creating the earth in seven days, so we don't know if the seven days are literal or metaphorical for a period of time. And that's inconsequential. Because the issue is, there is an intelligent being who orchestrated the existence of creation over a period of time, whether it's seven literal days or whether it's years. Here's the point. When you read the, the creation narrative in Genesis, how God created the world, you'll see he didn't create Adam and Eve until the sixth day. And you'll see an order, which means he created the place before he created the people. Because he knew the people can't be who I need them to be if I don't have the right stuff in place. I got to create the grass first and the animals first because if not, they don't have food. So he didn't create fish and then create water. He created water and then created fish because he knew in order for his creation to flourish, he had to create the place before the people. He had to create the environment before the thing. So the environment for fish is water. The environment for birds is the air. The environment for humans is Eden. And Eden is not about being in a garden. Eden is about being in his presence. And humans that are not in his presence are like fish that are outside of water. They are flapping and they are floundering and they are slowly dying because we have been designed and created to flourish only in his presence. And here's the great thing about Eden, which represents his presence. You don't have to be at the mercy of somebody else's environment because when God created you, God created something that creates. When God made you, he made something that makes things. So you don't have to wait on the right environment. You can create the right environment. 
You can create Eden in your car. You can create Eden in your living room. You can create Eden in your kitchen because he inhabits the praises of his people. And when we begin to praise, his presence begins to manifest. And his presence is to us what water is to a fish. This is why these few moments you are with us in church are often moments where you feel something that you feel no other time in the week because you were made for this but 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 i, I got one more can i give you one more they, they all don't want it right there i said i said can, can i give you one more y'all tired or can i give you one more all right there, there, there's one more one more i want to give you and this is why I want to lean into it. We'll wrap up here. It's the principle. Listen to me. Y'all ready for this now? It's the principle of the person. Okay. I hope y'all can handle this 12 o'clock. Y'all ready? Yeah. I said 12 o'clock. Y'all ready? Yeah. All right. What you initially see is not all there is to me. Because some people want to relegate you, minimize you, and box you in to how they met you. And some people need to know there is more to me than what you initially see. Am I making sense here? Yeah, that there's more to me than what you initially See, and if you limit me simply to how you initially met me, then you don't get the best from me because I can do more than what you know I can do. And just because you haven't seen it from me does not mean it's not in me. It just takes certain individuals and certain environments to draw, to draw the best out of me. But there is more to me than you initially see. And some of us have to get delivered from, gosh, this one of your greatest areas of deliverance will be deliverance from the opinions of people. I, I am telling you, you better hear what I just said. I said one of your greatest areas of deliverance will be your deliverance because watch this. People will want you to simply stay a version of yourself that they like but I got to be all that I can be even if you don't want that part of me. Just take the part of me that you want, but don't stop me from being all I'm supposed to be because the part of me you don't want is another part of me somebody been praying for. I don't hear anybody talking to me today. I said the part of you, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. What some people are taking for granted, somebody else is praying for. So some people like keep themselves in a box. Say, hey, you don't have to want all there is to me. Pick the part of me that you want, but that's not gonna stop me from being all I've been created to be. And if you connected to this house, you do not have a this or that anointing. Not if you connected to this house. Not if God's called you to plant your roots in this soil. 
Not if this is the spiritual family that you trust to, to nurture and develop you spiritually. God does not call this or that people to a church like this. This is for this and that people. I know, I want to know, am I talking to anybody that can say I'm this and that? I can bring home the bacon and fry it. I'm this. Let me go. <laughs> let me. I know somebody better talk back to me. Yeah, I'm this and that. Here's the issue. Your inability to, to see what's in me doesn't just adversely impact me. It robs you. It robs you of versions of me that could add value to you. Because you only see me how you initially met me. And this principle not only applies to people, this principle applies to God. As a matter of fact, it is the exact issue God is attempting to address in Exodus chapter number 3. In our foundational text, we get to eavesdrop on a conversation God is having with a man named Moses. It's not a casual conversation. It's a consequential conversation. It's a conversation about calling. Everybody say calling. What's that, Darius? Calling is God's invitation for your participation in the reason for your creation. It is when God says, I created you for something, and I'm going to extend an invitation to you to align your life for what you've been created for. It is my invitation for your participation in the reason for your creation. And you will get callings from one role to another role throughout your life. Did you hear what I just said? You will get multiple callings from one role to another role throughout your life. And an appointment for irrelevance is inevitable for people who only believe God can call them into something and not call them out. Did you hear what I just said? Some people cannot step into new, call, new seasons because they're in love with old callings. Because they think just because that is what God had you doing in that season, that that is the only thing you've been created to do. And God's like, there are things in you you don't even see yet. And right when you get comfortable and competent in a season of calling you walking in, I'm going to come and start setting bushes on fire and say, Moses, take off your shoes. It's holy ground. I know you've been tending to literal sheep, but now I'm telling you, you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm a background person. I don't do all that speaking stuff. So you telling me there's an aspect of my calling that is my greatest area of insecurity. You told me I got to go to Pharaoh and talk. I'm not comfortable talking. I'm fine minding my business right here. God, I ain't come looking for you. So Moses thought his inadequacy gave him an excuse. (laughs) 
And God's like, your inadequacy doesn't give you an excuse. Your, ad- your inadequacy is not an exemption, Moses. Your inadequacy, listen to this, is my insurance. <laughs> you say, your, your sense of inadequacy is my insur- insurance. You know you can't do this without me. So you're never going to try to do this without me. So I'm picking you. Because I don't have time to pick people who think they're smarter than me. And some of you are like, God, I can't do this. He's like, I know. That's why I picked you. God, I don't want this exactly. Because I can't trust the people who want it too bad. Because the people who want it that bad will get it and, re- and forget why I gave it to them. And they will love what it is more than why I gave it to them. They won't be like Esther who say, I love the palace, but I love purpose more. So I am willing to risk the palace to carry out the purpose because I love you more than it. So those that don't want it are those that he's going to pour it out to. Because he can trust you. Moses like, man... Come on. So he reluctantly agrees. I'm not even going to bother that because I don't know if they'll shake your theological tree. But God accepts reluctant yeses. You like, yes. He like, okay, let's go. (laughs) Watch this. So Moses said to God, okay. So I got to go to the Israelites and tell them that um, we're going to get them out. So the Israelites have been in Egypt 400 years. Egypt is a culture of polytheism. Poly meaning many, many gods, sun god, moon god, fertility god, all kind of gods. So when I go say God said, they're going like, to be like, which one? <laughs> so God, I need a name. When I go tell them God said, I, I, I need a name. God said, Moses, you want a name? He said, yeah, I want a name. Moses get his pen and paper ready. God said, you ready? He said, yeah. He said, what's the name? God said, I am. I'll say, I am. God's like, what? He like that. That's it? He said, you need some more? Moses said, yeah. He said, I am, I am, that I am, that I am. He say, what? He say, right now, Moses, they gonna need me to be so much. They don't even know what all they gonna need me to be. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you a name that's my covenant name. It's a name that is similar to a prefix. So Moses, the only name I'm gonna give you right now is Jehovah, but it's a prefix, not intended to stand alone. So I'm going to just say right now, Jehovah Moses. Now put a blank behind it. Because as I lead y'all out of Egypt, you're going to need me to fill in the blank different ways. So whatever you need me to be, whenever you need me to be it, you just need to know I'll fill in the blank. When you need a lawyer, I am. When you need a doctor, I am. 
When you need a door opener, I am. When you need a comforter, I am. I'll be exactly what you need me to be. Is there anybody here that can look back over your life and say he's filled in the blank? He said, I will be. I'm done. Who, who I will be. Don't miss this family. Are y'all here? He, he says, I, I want to give you this prefix. I, I want to show you why this is so important. This is a revelation that not only has implications for our life, it has implications for our worship. You cannot worship beyond your revelation. And the problem many of us have with worship is that you're worshiping a God that's too ambiguous. So when we say worship God, principle of the person, your revelation is limited to the version of God you got introduced to. So if God is only the one that saved you, then your worship is going to be limited to salvation. So if you ask the average person, who is God? They don't have an answer because he's a concept to them and not a compilation of personalities that can fill in whatever blank you need. When they're, when they're worshiping God, they don't know what it entails. God's simply their creator or the determiner of their eternal destination. And if that is the limitation of your revelation, it will create a limitation in worship. If the only thing he does for you is give you salvation, the only thing you can do every week is worship because you're saved. And not that you should ever be unappreciative, but at some point that's going to get monotonous and old. If all he is is your creator and the dictator of your eternal destination, then I don't know how you can be consistently in awe and amazed by him. You must go deeper than simply the word God. You must know what the word God, Jehovah, means. It's a prefix. And all throughout scripture, he fills in the blank to let you know when you say God, you're saying all this. Last week, we taught you one. When you say God, you're saying Jireh. So when I worship God, I'm worshiping the one who make rams climb mountains. Rams don't climb that high. But God will make something act inconsistent with his nature. When he get ready to provide for you, he will make something act inconsistent with his nature. He will make takers become givers. He will make territorial individuals become door openers. It's because I'm, I'm the God that provides me. I know how to get it to you. But that's not the only revelation we see in scripture. In Exodus chapter number 17, we, we get introduced to another name, not just Jehovah Jireh, in verse 15, we see Moses builds an altar, and he calls it Jehovah Nisi. This word means the Lord, Jireh, my provider. Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Banners are means of celebration and commemoration of things. In our current context, banners are hung in rafters as a sign and symbol of victory. God, Moses teaches God is not only your banner, he's the reason you hang one. 
This revelation is based on the recognition that there are some enemies and adversity you cannot overcome independent of divine assistance. Nisi don't matter to you if you think you can win by yourself. But if you've ever felt like, I keep losing. If you've ever looked in the mirror and felt like a loser was looking back at you. You see, when Israel faced the Amalekites in Exodus 17, it wasn't with overwhelming force. They weren't an experienced army. They didn't have the best commanders. It was a transient tribe of herdsmen escaping slavery in Egypt and traveling uncertainly to a promised land they hadn't seen in 400 years. They were trespassers traveling through the lands of these fighting people. They traveled with women, children, herds, and all their possessions, and the battle was for survival, hope, and a future. These men were slaves, not soldiers. But they won battles they should have lost. (laughs) And when they won, they didn't get to the end of it and say, I did this myself. See, just because you survived doesn't mean you won. Boxers survive fights, they don't win. Nisi reveals that God wants to give us more than survival. He wants to give you victory. So when you say you're worshiping God, you're worshiping Nisi. When you say you're worshiping God, you're worshiping Roy, the Lord who is my shepherd. Because there are going to be times where I got to make decisions and they're not black and white decisions. It's not good or bad. It's not easy decisions. It's great decisions. It's this could go either way. So once I've gathered all the data and I've done all my analysis, I still got to make a choice and I don't know what choice to make. Should I leave? Should I stay? Should I step out? Should I go? What should I do? I need the assurance to know that you're going to lead me. Now, here's the promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will he didn't say you would feel directed sorry y'all they missed it he didn't say you would feel directed he said I'll direct your paths so sometimes you have to acknowledge him and then make a decision and trust that you lead me even if I don't feel led that I don't have to have a word to be led. I just need a shepherd. When you're worshiping God, you're worshiping Shalom. Judges 6.24, then Gideon built an altar to the Lord, called it Jehovah Shalom. It means peace. This is based on the revelation. There are some things, I know some of us don't want to hear this, God will not alter. He gives you the grace to endure. So God says, some of this I'm not going to change, but I'm going to be peace with you. So even if I don't deliver you from it, I'm going to give you so much peace in it. And last but not least, he says, I'm I'm Makadish. I'm the Lord that sanctifies you. This aspect of God is only found valuable by those who don't just want to be forgiven, they want to be changed. 
They have a revelation of their inability to change some things that need to be changed on their own. They have dealt with the frustration of making promises to themselves and to others about ceasing to engage in self-destructing behavior, but they can't stop. So they are frustrated, not with God, but with themselves. They realize I'm not in a season, I'm in a cycle. And I want out. And I know God loved me. And I know I'm forgiven. But I won't change. And I tried. And I can't. And I prayed. And I didn't. And I fasted. And I was free for a season. But I found myself right back in the same cycle. Hating myself. Feeling so embarrassed even though nobody knew God did not even being able to pray I know I'm not talking to anybody here that's ever felt that way that I've been doing this my whole life and I just want to stop and it's killing my joy but I can't stop and it's killing my peace but I can't shake it and it's killing my steam and I don't know what to do with it and I've tried and tried and tried and I don't know what to do. Macadish says, I fix what you can't. I can't fix it right, but I can. And so I don't care if you're like the man at the pool of Bethesda. It's been 38 years. I can fix it. The woman with the issue of blood, 12 years. I can fix it. The woman with the bent over back, 18 years. I can fix it. I am the Lord who knows you can't do this by yourselves. Psalm says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those that fear him, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are but dust. He says, I got you. I'm Macadish. And I'm going to help you where you can't help yourself. I'm done, but I pray against the condemnation that you're enduring because of your inability to change. God doesn't expect you to without him. God's like, I know you can't. I've been waiting on you to see you can't. Everybody standing, we're done. You're already loved. You're already chosen. Did you hear what I just said? You're already loved. You're already chosen. 